Welcome to One in Five, which takes its name from the one in five college students in the United States who are also parents. In this documentary series, we meet student parents from across the country who are balancing school, work, and full lives while creating a better future for themselves and their families. I'm Pamela Kirkland, a reporter and audio producer and narrator of One in Five. I'll also narrate this episode, which Ava Amudbegi reported. In this episode, you'll meet Yaslin Amaya Hernandez, a young mother of two boys in Maryland. She's worked towards her bachelor's in political science. But in a way, her student parent journey started long before she had her own kids. As the eldest child of immigrant parents, she's faced obstacles on a personal, family, and even national level. Yet she's found a path forward to a more secure life. And she didn't do it alone. Yaslin was eight when she left her birthplace, El Salvador, to come to the U.S. Before that, she and her younger sister had been living with their grandmother. I'm my grandmother's first grandchild, so I'd like to say that I'm the favorite grandchild. Their father was out of the picture, and their mother was working in the U.S. to support the family. Though Yaslin missed having her mom around, she has good memories of being with her grandmother. She's a Catholic, so Sundays were for church, and I would always go with her, not because I enjoyed church, but because she always took me to Pizza Hut. Um, and that's what I always wanted. But living with her grandmother wasn't a long-term solution. Eventually, Yaslin's mom came back to El Salvador to pick up her two daughters. She guided them over several borders, all the way to Maryland, where they had family. Yaslin enrolled in the third grade and was placed in the ESL, or English as a Second Language, class. I was determined that I was going to learn English, and I was determined that I was going to excel. And she did do well in school. But things at home weren't easy for anyone. Yaslin's mom had been working hard to send money back to El Salvador for a couple of years before she decided to bring the kids to the U.S. And now that they were all in Maryland... The jobs that she came to do, essentially, she just came and picked back up on them like she had never left. She would start work in a McDonald's kitchen at four in the morning do housekeeping from 9.30 to 5, and finally in the evening, go to her job as a janitor. So she had those three jobs, and she would get home, usually around 10.30. This meant that Yaslin's mom wasn't able to be around so much for the kids. And it wasn't just Yaslin and her sister. Her mom found a partner here in the U.S., and they eventually had three children together. This meant that in a good year, when Yaslin's mom was on good terms with her partner, a family of seven would be living on a combined salary of forty-five dollars to $50,000 a year. No one else was home to take care of the kids. So as the oldest child, Yaslin took on that responsibility, starting when she was just in elementary school. No one knew behind the scenes what was going on, that I was the second mom to my siblings that I had given up a lot of my life and my childhood to take care of them. I had given up so much, and no one knew behind the scenes that, you know, I was exhausted. 
This responsibility alone is enough to keep a young student from giving 100%. But for Yaslin, there was something else that happened around ninth grade that caused her to spiral. And when she talks about it, her tone changes a little, like she's still trying to catch a breath under the weight of it all. I would say what really changed was that I was very aware what my status meant for my future. Yaslin, her sister, and her mom had come to the U.S. without documents. As an eight-year-old, she hadn't understood all the repercussions of that, like saying goodbye to her beloved grandmother. I guess at that time I didn't get it. And now, obviously, I do. And so it's like I left, and I was like, okay, I'm leaving you. But I didn't really get, okay, I'm leaving you forever. And it was around her first year of high school when Yoslin learned that being undocumented in the U.S. didn't just mean she couldn't travel internationally. It meant that affording college and getting a good job would be exponentially more difficult. She wouldn't be able to apply for financial aid. And since her family was already living in poverty, no financial aid meant no college. And ultimately, no way out of minimum wage jobs. Yoslin was deflated. I started just making bad decisions. I take full accountability for the fact that I just decided to make the wrong choices and just, I stopped going to school, I stopped going to class, and I was like, why am I going to come here? If at the end of the day, after I get this diploma, I'm just going to get stuck working at a McDonald's earning $7.25. It just didn't make sense for me. In her freshman and sophomore years of high school, Yaslin did the bare minimum, She just didn't see the point in trying to do well. But then... Okay, so I get DACA in June of 2013, after I had finished my sophomore year. DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, is not a path to a visa, green card, or citizenship, all of which would provide legal status in the U.S. But recipients, sometimes referred to as DREAMers, are eligible for a social security number, work authorization, and a driver's license. So as soon as I realize and I get in the mail my DACA card and then I get my social security number, I'm just like, oh, crap. I have a possibility now to find a job, to work, even if it's not like this high-paid position. But it doesn't have to be minimum wage anymore. Yaslin's mentality started to change. With her new work permit, she got a part-time job at the McDonald's where her mom worked. This way, she could start saving up money of her own for college. But the environment around her didn't change so easily. She was still struggling to balance taking care of her siblings, going to school, and now working. Plus, she had recently gotten out of an abusive relationship. She had a lot on her shoulders, and she needed someone to lean on. That's when she met Furman. Furman was a co-worker at McDonald's, and he's also from El Salvador. He finished high school there before coming to the U.S. on a green card. Furman believed in Yaslin. He's the only one, for whatever reason, that I felt comfortable speaking with. I opened up to him and I spoke to him about like situation that I found myself in. And, you know, I would say that that's when things kind of like clicked for us. We ended up just 
getting together. And it was really funny because we got together once, and that's when I got pregnant. Yaslin's mom didn't take the news well. She was disappointed, like now Yaslin could never have a bright future. And studies do show that teen mothers are significantly less likely to graduate high school than their peers. During that week, there was a lot of rift between my mom and I. Years of trying to manage difficult circumstances had built up conflict and resentment between Yaslin and her mom. They had good intentions and even tender moments between them. But at the time, it felt like too much for Yaslin to handle. And I think unconsciously, I made the choice that pregnancy was really my only way out of that, like, environment. Just one week after finding out she was pregnant, Yaslin left her mother's house. She was 16. I was like, I'm tired of it. I'm over it. And I grabbed my stuff and I left. And I remember her very vividly. She was standing at the stairs at the front of the door and she was just crying. Finding housing as a pregnant teen living in poverty is not easy. In fact, studies from 2018 suggest that many of the roughly 4 million adolescents and young adults who experience homelessness in the U.S. each year are pregnant or parenting. Luckily, Yaslin had a place to go. She moved in with Furman at his parents' house. And she says leaving her family home actually improved her relationship with her mom— over the next few years, her mom would step up to be a support for Yaslin. And even Yaslin's grandma would become more present in her life, sending love and encouragement all the way from El Salvador. But soon after the move, Yaslin ended up having a miscarriage. She fell into a deep depression. People at school started bullying her. And for a few months, she just stopped going to class. I didn't show up for four months straight, until they finally called my mom. Her mom and Furman pushed her to go back in April of her junior year. She finished off the year and went to summer school. And then I find out that I'm pregnant once again, one day after my 17th birthday. And I was like, wow, what am I gonna do? It was September of her senior year, but her motivation for graduating was low. She'd not only have to take all the classes other seniors were taking, but also three other courses she hadn't passed due to her previous excessive absences. On top of that, community service was a prerequisite for graduation, and she still had 40 hours left to do. She was ready to drop out. It felt like an impossible amount of work. But a school guidance counselor convinced her to stay. She could do the extra three classes online, and they could figure out the community service hours. She always said, and she always told me, I know you're smart, I know you're bright, it's just that whatever your past was is what's led you to this point. And she was like, but that doesn't define who you are, and I know you have so much potential. But in January of her senior year, just a few months shy of graduation and her due date, Yaslin got some bad news. The school had made a calculation mistake. She needed to pass three more classes to get her diploma. She felt like she was out of options. How could she come back for three more classes next year while nursing a newborn? My counselor was really amazing. She was like, I'm not supposed to tell you this, 
but she was like, you can write a letter to the principal appealing those three credits. And he has the power to give you those three credits back. I write the letter. He asks for a meeting with me. I go to the meeting and I explain to him just what's going on. Her principal understood, but he wanted to leave it up to the teachers to decide whether or not they'd give Yaslin the class credits. So he invited them to a meeting to ask. And they're like, no, like right off the bat, no. The principal asked her if she had anything to say to her teachers, an appeal. I was like, I unfortunately made wrong choices during that time. I was like, I was the only one that knew what I was going through. So I was like, it's fine. That's their choice. A couple weeks later, those teachers did end up giving her the credits, and she was able to graduate on time. But all this hassle, all this having to fight for yourself, to believe against all odds that you can succeed and you have nothing to be ashamed of, that's hard. But Yaslin did have some strong supports. Besides her counselor who fought for her and Furman who believed in and encouraged her, there was also Eden Durbin. So I was a volunteer with a wider circle. And a wider circle is an organization in Silver Spring, Maryland. And their mission is to end poverty. One of the wider circle programs was life skills classes for pregnant and parenting teens that would take place in various high schools in the area. It was one of those classes that Eden and Yaslin, or as you'll hear Eden refer to her, Jocelyn, met. What was interesting is that there was something different about Jocelyn. There's a grit that you can identify almost immediately. One of the first times Eden recognized this grit was in a class where she had asked the students to do some future planning exercises. And I looked around and really only Jocelyn was actually going through the exercise and was engaged. And the others were on their phone, they were texting. Many of them had so many layers to their story that they couldn't envision their future. But Jocelyn always could. And she had the smarts and the willingness to really work hard because the obstacles come fast and furious when you live in poverty and when you are a teen mom. Eden noticed Yaslin's commitment in the class. And over time, the two really bonded. She even showed up for Yaslin as she navigated some challenging times as a new parent. Yaslin had to give birth to her son, Andrew, an entire month before he was due because of a pregnancy complication. And when Andrew was born, he immediately had some health issues. The support Yaslin got from her mom, Furman, and Eden at this time made a big difference. But with final exams only a few weeks away, Eden was also interested in making sure Yaslin graduated from high school. So Yaslin talked to her counselor, and it turned out because her situation was technically a medical emergency, final exams were waived. She immediately texted Eden. And I texted her and I was like, I'm done. And they'll see me in graduation in June. She's like, okay. And she's like, and what are the next steps? Yaslin was planning to stay home with the baby, but Eden encouraged her to keep an open mind about her options. And so after I graduate in June, she texted me back 
And she's like, what are your thoughts about college? And I said, I want to go to college. I do. If you can hold a newborn and still visualize your future, that's nine tenths of the game right there. So I knew that it was worth investing my time and energy and love into. Yaslin took just a few months to spend quality time with newborn Andrew and to recuperate from the stressful year she'd just had. And then she and Eden started seriously looking into Montgomery College. It's a community college near where Yaslin was living at the time, still with Furman and his parents. Yaslin and Eden went to campus for an information session. Even though it was too late to apply for fall classes, Yaslin could apply for the following spring semester. They're like, we can waive the application fee if you want to fill it out today. Eden spoke up. And she's like, do you want to go? And I'm like, I do, but I'm like, I can't afford to pay half of it. Like, I can't. And I said, I will pay whatever it takes to get you through school. And she's like, look, she's like, let's make this deal. Eden would pay for Yaslin's classes, about $500 each, if Yaslin promised to try her best. And I'm like, that's a done deal. That's a done deal. Like, I have no issues. And so she could have taken that as a free ride. But what she turned around to do then is then really sussed out scholarships. At the time, Yaslin, Furman, and Andrew were living on Furman's salary of $34,000 a year. Any financial help for school would go a long way. But while 84% of DACA-eligible students are enrolled in public colleges, scholarships serving this population are hard to come by for those with a low GPA. Even though Yaslin was now in college, starting with just one course paid for by Eden, she had a 2.0 high school GPA. But there was one scholarship program that was still a possibility, Generation Hope. It's a nonprofit that aims to help teen student parents in the D.C. metro area become college graduates. They offer some tuition assistance, as well as training, mentorship, and tutoring opportunities. There's also access to mental health support and an emergencies fund. Generation Hope required a 2.5 GPA, but Yaslin decided it couldn't hurt to apply. So in April 2016, she put in her application and hoped for the best. While Yaslin waited for a decision, the entire country was facing another inflection point. The U.S. has become a dumping ground for everybody else's problems. (laughs) Thank you. You know, at the same time, these conversations about Trump coming into, you know, the race for the presidency... Yaslin and Furman were talking a lot about what that meant for the two of them. We don't know what that's going to look like if he ends up winning the election. At this point, like, he hadn't won the nomination, but he was already in the debates, and he just kept attacking DACA. Yaslin and Furman had a loving, supportive relationship and a beautiful little kid together. And given the uncertainty of what would happen to Yaslin as a DACA recipient if Trump won the election— they decided to get married. This would also give Yaslin the opportunity to apply for a green card as Furman's spouse. They made a good couple. They kept pushing each other to grow and do better. So when Yaslin started at Montgomery College in 2016, she brought Furman along for the ride. 
Using financial aid, he started taking ESL courses in preparation for a degree program in construction management. So like my first semester, I'm feeling on cloud nine. Like I've passed my first class with an A. I have received an award my first semester in school. My husband passed his classes and we were able to balance this first semester really well with both of us being in school. Then comes June and I find out that I'm pregnant again. At this point, Yaslin had passed just one class in college. She'd had an interview with Generation Hope, but hadn't heard back yet about their decision. She knew she had to tell Eden about the pregnancy, but she was scared of disappointing the one person besides Furman who had believed in her on this college journey. I'm at a gas station, you know, putting gas into my car. And, you know, my heart had been racing. And I'm just like, I don't know how to tell her, like, I'm going to let her down. Like, she... She just had like all these expectations of me, like, and I disappointed her. Like all these scenarios just kept, you know, and I call her and she's silent for a moment. I was scared. I thought that the doors were going to close on her because I I felt we were so close and we were always making progress that I just, I didn't want the rung to come out from underneath us. Our raising two babies. And that's when she brings up the conversation about abortion. And I obviously, I tell her, no, it's not an option. And she's like, okay. And she's like, so what are your thoughts on school? And I was like, I don't know. I think I'm gonna drop out because I was like, I I don't think I can do it with two kids. I end my conversation with her. And before I'm getting ready to drive off, I'm sitting there and I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to school anymore. I'm not. I'm, this, this is where it ends. My phone rings, and it's Caroline. Caroline Griswold Short, the director of programming at Generation Hope. And she calls me and she tells me, congratulations, you've been accepted into the program. And I knew this was the universe's way of telling me, no, we're not done just yet. Like, we're still going to continue. But they had accepted her as the mother of one child. Would Caroline and the people at Generation Hope judge and blame her for getting pregnant again, like the teachers had done the first time around in high school? I asked Caroline, I'm like, look, I just found out that I'm pregnant. Like, is that going to be an issue? And she's like, no. She's like, of course not. She was like, we'll help you. We'll support you. We'll guide you. And it was like something that I had never heard before. Like someone telling you that they're going to help you and support you. And I'm just like, you know, it's like I expected someone to tell me, wow, like you're trying to go to college. So why the hell are you getting pregnant again? And I got absolutely none of that and I call Ina and I'm like I got accepted into Generation Hope and I'm crying and I'm like and my pregnancy is not an issue like they said they'll support me like and she's like so and I was like I'm gonna go 
I'm going to continue going. And she's like, okay. And she was like, well, she was like, if you're going to continue going, I'm still going to continue supporting you. Yaslin went back to Montgomery College in the fall semester of 2016, this time taking two courses instead of one. But there was still one major challenge in her student-parent journey that she had to resolve. Yaslin and Furman didn't have enough money to pay for childcare. And they were hesitant to get childcare vouchers from the government because of the so-called public charge rule, which could jeopardize Yaslin's chances of gaining more secure legal status in the U.S. In their first semester of college, they handled childcare themselves. But now, with the heavier course load, they would have to rely on family, scheduling their classes around their relatives' availability to babysit. At the same time, Donald Trump had become the Republican presidential nominee, heating up national conversations around immigration. That's when I shifted my degree into politics. Because, you know, I had heard this quote, and it said, if I'm not at the table, I'm on the menu. And that for me meant right now, I'm on the menu. I'm who they are after. And if I'm not at the table making the choices with them, we're always going to continue being on the menu. So that's when I realized this is what I need to do. Her plan was to get her general associate's degree at Montgomery College and then transfer to the University of Maryland, where she could get a B.A. in politics. But before Yoslin could continue her studies, she had to deliver her second baby. I knew for a fact I had to take off because my son was going to be born in February. I was like, I'm not going to be able to do it. So Yaslin took a semester off to have her second son, James. Around that time, she also decided to renew her DACA and work permit in case Trump decided to end the program. The application fee is about $500, and it can't be waived. So Yaslin turned to Generation Hope. They gladly helped her using the emergencies fund. It took Yaslin another two years to get her associate's degree, and it was an incredibly hectic time. In her last semester at Montgomery College, she had also taken on a job as a janitor to save up more money. After college classes, she would pick up her kids from her family's house. I'm coming home at like four in the afternoon, I'm picking up my kids and then I'm coming home and I'm doing the cooking and then I cook so dinner's ready and then I leave for work at five. I'm not getting home until 9.30 and then at 9.30, that's when I'm doing my homework and I'm not getting to bed until like two, three in the morning. And then I'm waking up at seven in the morning because that's the time that my kids wake up. I'm waking up at seven in the morning and I'm trying to do some sort of activity with them in the morning for their development and just be engaged with them or do homework that I was too tired to do the night before. Finally, in 2019, Yaslin transferred to the University of Maryland to get her bachelor's. But her experience there was even more challenging than what she faced at Montgomery College. For one thing, she now had a long commute, over an hour each way. On some days, she was spending more time commuting to class than she was in the classes themselves. 
Because not all of her credits transferred, in order to graduate in two years, Yaslin had to take a full course load plus another class and an internship to get her BA. And she was still working. She had a lot going on. And so did Furman. So he's going to work, obviously, from Monday to Friday, full time. He gets up at four in the morning, usually gets home at like four or five p.m. So he's stepping up to the plate. They were both determined to not just make it work, but thrive, to get their education and work at the same time, to achieve financial security and save up for their own place. On top of class, work, and being a mom, Yaslin even took on more projects, like becoming an Ascend Parent Advisor, helping to design the Aspen Parent Powered Solutions Fund. And for her internship, she got involved in the office of Maryland State Delegate Jared Solomon, where her mentor Eden is the chief of staff. It was a lot, but they got into a rhythm. Until COVID hit. They suddenly had to figure out learning, not just for themselves, but also for their kids, while all living in one bedroom of Furman's parents' house. And as for Yaslin's job... I still have to show up to my job because I'm a janitor, so we're essential. And at my job, we're not even being provided PPE. So what did they bring us? Paper towels, a roll of paper towels, a stapler, and rubber bands for us to make masks with because I needed the money, because we were in the middle of an immigration proceeding. I was showing up for work that way. And it was tough. It was tough. Yaslin ended up finding another job, this time as a receptionist. She also got promoted to legislative assistant at Delegate Solomon's office to help with their COVID response. She had a full plate. And then, with just two weeks left of fall 2020 classes, Yaslin got COVID. And I let my teachers know, hey, look, I just tested positive for COVID. And I let them know, like, all of these things that I'm going through. And no resources were offered. No help was offered. The most they could do was give me a two- or three-day extension on my final exams and my papers. That's all they could do. Yaslin made sure to finish out her classes while she was sick, but she found out later that there was an alternative. The professors could have given her an incomplete, meaning she could complete her work at a later date. With the help of Delegate Solomon, Yaslin sent a letter to her dean at the University of Maryland and later got a meeting to advocate for better communication and resource sharing in the future. And I'm like, I need you to take into consideration that there are plenty of people out there like me who are working, raising kids. And this pandemic has not made it any easier on us. And I need you to be sure that your teachers know, the people in this department know what resources the university is offering. Instead of just telling me at this point, well, look, I'm sorry, at least you passed your classes. Because if I wouldn't have passed my classes, if I would have failed anything, what did that mean for me? That I was going to be stuck in another semester here and spend more money that I already don't have. It's not clear if that meeting will bring real action, but the fact that it happened shows how Yaslin has learned to advocate for herself against all odds. She's planning on bringing that determination into the long career that awaits her. 
Eden says she can see Yaslin going to law school. Yaslin sees herself on Capitol Hill. But she says her most important job is as a mom and knowing that she's setting an example for her kids. My dreams and aspirations were just graduate from school, break this cycle of poverty, just give my kids a financially stable life. That's what I wanted for them. Over the past few years, she's gotten closer to that dream of financial stability. What kept her going was her kids. My son was so proud that I had graduated. Every time we were driving by and he would see like these buses with the Montgomery College logo, he was like, Mommy, you graduated from there. And then he would tell me, I'm going to graduate from Montgomery College too. But first, Yaslin's kids need to master waking up for school. James. James, wake up. Ricky, here's Woody. Vamos, levántate. Yaslin is on track to get her bachelor's in political science from the University of Maryland this year. She and Furman even saved up enough money for a down payment on a condo apartment, where they live now. Yaslin says they've created a stepping stone of wealth for their children just by owning this condo. And they're truly happy about being able to do that. Yaslin's also waiting to see what happens with her spousal petition. If immigration accepts her waiver and pardons her unauthorized entry, she can submit a green card application. If that happens... I will have to leave the U.S. for about six weeks and go back to my home country. Sixteen years after leaving El Salvador as a child, Yaslin might have the chance to return, this time as an accomplished adult, parent of two beautiful kids, and with a college degree. Tears fill her eyes as she considers what that means, seeing her beloved grandmother again. Um, that's all I'm looking forward to. Ava Amudbegi reported this story with Dinesh Matani. Generation Hope uses a two-generation approach by surrounding motivated teen parents and their children with mentors, emotional support, and financial resources that they need to thrive in college and kindergarten. Find them at generationhope.org. Thank you for listening. One in Five is produced by Lantigua Williams & Co. and presented by Ascend at the Aspen Institute, the national hub for breakthrough ideas and collaborations that move children and their parents toward educational success and economic security. To learn more about student parents and resources for them, visit ascend.aspeninstitute.org and follow at Aspen Ascend on Twitter. Jen Chien edited this episode. Sound design and mixing by Elizabeth Nakano with Cedric Wilson. Our theme song is Ascenders by Kojin Tashiro, who also contributed to mixing. Sarah McClure, Ryan Katz, Erica Hellerstein, Emily Vaughn, and Ava Amudbegi fact-checked the series. I'm Pamela Kirkland. Subscribe to 1 in 5 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 